You know, 10 months ago, we made a decision to redefine our direction. We knew there would be ups and downs this season. We knew that we would encounter some things that were going to be difficult, and we did. Uh, with that said, I think we're in a, a better place today than we were at this time last year. And I think we have an opportunity to grow as an organization starting today. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Levine, he goes right. Oh! Stop it, Samson! Did you not get the memo? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Here's Cantor. What are you doing? The finisher in New York City. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. We're going to preach patience. It doesn't mean we're not going to be looking for ways to get better, but a lot of it's going to come internally. We need Zach Levine to be a better basketball player. Chris Dunn to come back a better player. Lowry Markkinen, Bobby Portis, you go down the line. They have to put in the time and confident that they will. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Like I said at the beginning, I feel better today about our, our direction and our position than I did a year ago. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com and the Dash Radio app. I'm the Nothing But Net channel, live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls basketball in the NBA at LockedOnBulls.com and College Hoops over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, host of Bulls Outsiders on NBC Sports Chicago and host of the 312 show on AM 1590 WCGO. Follow on social media on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls, on Instagram at Locked on Bulls. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Our text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. Drop us your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us. We're doing mailbag on Thursday. Pushing that back a little bit. We've got guests lined up all week long, so we're going to push our mailbag back. Voicemails and text messages, though, we will get to this week. Make sure you continue to drop those for us. 331-979-1369. We'd love to hear from you, so do that for us. Get those in before Thursday. That'll be all done on Thursday's show. Matt, welcome back. I know, I know. Don't e- you don't even have to tell me. You don't even have to tell me. On top of what we had to watch from from the land from the land in Quicken Loans Arena, whoever who whoever went to that game yesterday and bought tickets, you should get your money back, Whoa. man. That was just... Yeah, should they get a refund from the Cavs or the Bulls or Adam Silver? Because <laughs> they should get a refund from somebody. Dan Gilbert should be giving away free tickets for the rest of the year to Cavaliers games because that was just the most disgusting version of, of basketball I've ever watched in my entire life. Um, but what do you do? What's up, man? How you doing? Welcome back. Finally, finally, the Bulls have snapped their losing streak. And look... They've won a game in 2019. I don't know if I would really count that as a win, but hey, they notched they notched a W, and they they finally got as Chris Dunn would like to call it. And you know, this is the term that he's been using over the last three weeks. They got the monkey off their back, and they picked up the W and snapped the 10 game losing streak. What's what's uh, up? How yeah, you doing? I don't I don't care at all about that Cavs win. 
like the Bulls, the Bru- <laughs> the Bulls for the third time this season proved that they are the second worst team in the league, and that the very worst team in the league is so laughably worse than even the second worst team in the league that they should. That there's no point in playing the games, and the only point to the game is that it will have a determining factor of where exactly the worst teams in the league stack up in the draft lottery odds come the spring of this year once the season is over and guess what the bulls are 3 and 0 against cleveland they've beaten atlanta they've beaten new york they've beaten phoenix just like last season the bulls kind of shooting themselves in the foot by only winning against the teams that they are tanking against at this point. So, yippee, whoop-de-doo. Oh, and by the way, the Cavs were missing like half of their roster yesterday. So, the fact that the Bulls were able to beat them, at, yeah, the final score was lopsided. I think the Bulls eventually won by like 16 or whatever. It's not like the Bulls were some great display of basketball yesterday. That was one of the ugliest basketball games I've ever watched. Whoop-de-doo. We, 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 we ended the 10-game losing streak, most likely to the detriment of the team and its lottery standings. The Bulls Great. are now 6-0 and on the season against bottom five teams in the league. So that goes for the Cavs, the Knicks, the Hawks. Between those three teams, the Bulls are 6-0 and this season. Oh, and I have to include the Phoenix Suns in that too. So 6-0 and against those and four teams. That is uh, a whole lot of yikes for me. So, yeah. So, just going to throw that out there for you guys. So, the Bulls have 11 wins on this season, and six of those come in the bottom five in the league. So, yeah. In- instead of breaking down what was, frankly, really bad basketball yesterday, we have Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune on the show today. So, really good interview from him. A lot of insight. We haven't talked to Casey since the middle of November before Fred Hoiberg was fired. So, a lot of good stuff. We tried to get in as much as we could in the 25-30 minutes we got to talk to him. So, we've got that interview for you. But, Matt, we felt like we needed to do the opening segment to talk about you know, bombshell after bombshell this season. You know, we, we we aren't even kidding when we say every single day is a news story. Every single day. We, we don't get a day off. There is no days off with this Bulls team. And sure enough, after the Cavs game yesterday, you think you can just sit down, relax, be all right. Everything's, everything's cool. And of course it's not. Bulls make another trade with the Houston Rockets. Comes across the timeline and the Rockets, of course, move Carmelo Anthony, who's not really on the roster anymore. He's dead cap space, but he's moved to the Bulls, who are really one of the only teams in the league with open roster space. They move him to the Bulls yesterday because they want to sign Kenneth Fareed and they needed him for last night's game. So they do that. The Bulls pick up 900k in cash. The Bulls make this similar move that they did a couple of weeks ago with Michael Carter-Williams. And of course, you know what happens is there is just an absolute and total freakout on social media. And sure enough, this happens again. And my first question to this was, I, I went to the I went to Woj's official tweet, and immediately I replied to it, and I go, you know, you fooled me once a few weeks ago, Woj, and I'm not I'm not going to be fooled by this again. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I won't freak out again. And it's a good thing we weren't recording because I wasn't going to get fooled again by this. So I didn't freak out. I knew what they were doing here. And shout out to the Bulls GM on Bulls Twitter, Ryan Bora. He called, he called this, this yeah. like twelve hours before this was going to happen. Yeah. 
And so shout out to him. He knew this was going to happen. Yeah. So. I mean, it makes perfect sense considering uh, we we were aware that the you know the Rockets wanted to bring in Fareed and they needed a roster spot and that Melo um, was a failed experiment who hasn't even like been with the team in months. So, you know, m- moving on from Melo was something that, of course, the Rockets were planning to do eventually. And because the Bulls, you know, uh, left that roster spot open, they were one of, uh, you know, a short list of teams who could help the Rockets with this. And they had already helped the Rockets once before with the MCW trade. So, look, um, I, th- I think that the thing that you and I want to make clear here, and I kind of tweeted about this a little bit last night when I went in on some like Chicago Bulls rumors page. I think it's like at Chicago Bulls bot or something. Um it's it's a it's a Bulls fan account that has like twenty four thousand followers, and and they put out this tweet that says, Garpax last two trades: second round pick for MCW and cash, second round pick for Mello and cash, zero future assets in return. And then goes on to say, you know, uh, this this front office we're supposed to be rebuilding. It's all about money to them. Okay, look, you can make a joke about this front office and ownership group valuing money more than winning. That is not a new joke. It is an ongoing joke and has been for years. Cash considerations, the Jordan Bell draft night trade, etc., etc. Fine. But it is dishonest and irresponsible to mislead Bulls fans who who are willing to believe what they read on Twitter. To suggest, with the way that they phrased it, that the Bulls gave away two second-round picks in these trades. It is so grossly misleading and dishonest. Because guess what? For all of the criticisms that this front office deserves... And and Jordan, you said this, I think, in our interview and our talk with Casey. Any other team making that move in a vacuum is applauded for scrapping together some extra coin, helping another team out, doing some clerical work. But because it's this Bulls front office and because it is guilty before proven innocent, accounts like that throw the front office in front of a train and say, have at it, Wolves of Bulls fan Twitter, without actually being honest about what went down. Because we all know if you are informed and you pay attention to the team that you claim to love and follow on a daily basis, that those second round picks are so heavily protected that they will never convey. The Bulls did not get away, give away anything. If you want to be upset that instead of collecting future assets like picks, as opposed to collecting cash, you can be upset about that. And that's another part of the conversation with Casey that we'll get to in a minute. But to me, it's frustrating because when this fan base wants to be critical of the front office and call out their mistakes... It takes away the validity of, uh, of the outcry of a fan base when they are throwing the front office under the bus for shit that's just plain fa- factually not true. And it really, really bugs me. Yeah, like a few weeks ago when the whole Michael Carter-Williams thing went down, we were recording live. So the reaction that a lot of people saw in the video that we tweeted out or even heard on our episode was live. That was a live reaction. So we had no idea what was going on. So for that five minutes, we legitimately thought Michael Carter-Williams was getting dealt to the Bulls to be an option. Like, all of that leading up to that made sense. Like, oh, the Bulls are going to take another flyer and take a second chance on this guy. 
And then we all fo we followed that up all immediately with the actual facts. So anybody that's going to tweet at us on this, that's going to say, well, you right. guys had that same reaction a few weeks ago. That's not true. We followed it up with the facts. Well, and it goes what I was just it goes into what I was just saying, Jordan, and you and I have fallen victim to it, too. Uh, and, and certainly when we first heard before Woj's clarifying tweets about the Bulls waving MCW is that because we have become so cynical about this front office and their inability to do even the smallest things right, which I think you and I would both disagree with, the instant knee-jerk reaction is guilty of being stupid before proven innocent to doing something right. It just bothers me, too. It's It bothers me when... There's there's people with a lot of there's a lot there's a people with a lot of following, especially a lot of people in the media, especially here in Chicago that don't pay a lot of mind or a lot of attention to this team. First ones to to shoot off a tweet, first ones to crack a joke, but they also include information that just isn't isn't true, isn't right, isn't isn't facts. And that's what misleads a lot of Bulls fans, a lot of Chicago sports fans, a lot of NBA fans in general. And that's what makes me mad. It's it's not about the the making fun of the front office or the uh, the anger or the issue in general. It's just the misleading of the facts because then that's what builds an argument that just isn't true. Build an argument based on facts. Right. That's what I want. Right. Because it like. It discredits your argument to fire this front office if you're throwing things at out there that are not true. It just makes you sound like an uninformed, unintelligent fan. The fans that echo some of these sentiments that are just plain not true, like Boylan getting an extension, which we are six weeks, seven weeks now from when Fred Hoiberg was fired to this point, and there's still people saying that Boylan got an extension. It's just flat not true. And that's still being... Well, and, be, and it was just because of the report that he got a raise. And I'm like, in, in what world are, are people so dense that they cannot tell the difference between the report of Boylan got a raise and, and just turn it into Boylan got an extension? I keep seeing that on Twitter, even as recently as like yesterday, right. when guess what? That's not true. For the love of God, educate yourselves, Bulls fans. If you're going to be critical of this front office, you have to be critical of things that they do based on fact. Based on fact. Because it delegitimizes your argument that they're incompetent when you yourself are incompetent, arguing that they're incompetent. And like I said, Matt, it goes back to the same fact that I just said. It's partially, and it's partially to a fault, is the people with a lot of following that have the responsibility of covering the five major teams in this city that could care less about this team and and spread misinformation and are are too quick to get the jokes off for the retweets and the likes and spread misinformation and don't spread the facts like that's that's partly on them too and i'm throwing shade right now right. but i don't really care because i i i i bite my tongue a lot but i'm not going to do it right now because it it frankly it irritates me and it pisses me off because maybe the front office doesn't deserve it but put together Put together the facts and don't give me don't give me information that's false. So the other clarifying point to this, and it's something that I experienced, uh, you know, last year for for a while, just based on trying to be factually honest 
analyzing what we were seeing. Um, and, and shout out to Scruffy on Twitter who who followed up on my uh, little Twitter rant about irresponsible spread of misinformation. Uh, Scruffy who said, when fans correct the factual record, we're not being Garpax defenders, which is something that uh, people are, are att- have attacked me in the past for being you know, a defender of this front office when all I'm doing is being a defender of the truth and being a defender of facts. I can still hold the opinion that this front office has made a lot of missteps in recent years, and I can still hold the opinion that I would love to see a change at the top in this organization. And that is how I feel. I would love to see people replaced and, and get a fresh start in those chairs in, the, uh, in this organization. But just because occasionally I will fact check somebody on, on some slanderous stuff about the front office that's not true does not mean I'm some loyal defender of this front office. And, and the fact that they should hold their jobs and not be held accountable for their job performance. Not true. There's a difference between defending the front office and defending fact. I like to defend fact. And I don't like it, even when it's people trying to slander the front office, that I would like to see replaced when they are slandering them with things that are just flat out wrong. It's gross to me. The last thing I want to say on this whole Carmelo Anthony deal and that in general is... There's a few different things, just real fast. And then we'll get to the Casey Johnson interview, which was great. The one thing is, is this is the thing I battle with. So the Michael Carter-Williams deal, there was outrage. Fine. It blew over in a few days, though. And everybody came to, I think for the most part, Bulls fans came to terms with, okay, fine. You got to pass for it because a few days prior, you made the Justin Holiday deal and you basically robbed the Memphis Grizzlies of two second-round picks. And on top of that, you got a guy in Wayne Seldon Jr. that I know there's still 35 games left to be played, but he's a non-zero, non-zero player, right? There might be something there, there might not be, but he's he's better than he's better than the guys that you had before there, and there might be something there. There might not be, but he, he's something. So there's the, sure. the robbery. That, but that's the lining. As you said, it's all about being very pleasantly surprised that they were able to get two second rounders for Holiday. Like, you, you thought that maybe they could do that. I definitely, admitting I'm wrong, said there's no way in hell they're getting two second rounders for Holiday. They went out and did that. And w- whether or not Selden turns into anything or sticks around more, more than being a half-season loner to me is is irrelevant. It's nice that he's a usable piece for them right now, but... Again, that is having to applaud a front office when, yes, we can be critical of them. But, I mean, if you want to roll your eyes at the holiday trade, what are you rolling your eyes at? So so on top of that, like, the holiday trade happened. The Michael Carter-Williams deal happens. Like, people are, are pissed about the Michael Carter-Williams deal that happened. And, you know, everything's explained like, okay, they're getting cash back for it. Whatever. Fine. You paid off Marshawn Brooks. That's what you made this deal about. Whatever. Big deal. Uh, fine. We'll forget about it. It's, it's over. It happens. You, you, you did it in good favor for the Rockets. Maybe they'll scratch our backs in a few years when we need a favor done. Fine. Now a few weeks later, you do this again for the Rockets' sake. Is the money really worth the backlash? And I asked Casey Johnson the same question. You can hear his answer too. But I asked it. It's like, 
is the 900k that you made from this deal really worth all of the backlash in the bad PR that you're getting from this deal? Is that really worth it? And I know that I know that the Bulls front office and the Bulls management and the Bulls owners don't care about what kind of press that they're getting from this. But is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? And maybe they do care secretly inside their inside the advocate center, inside their building. They probably do care a little bit. But is it really worth it? And their PR team probably does care. They probably care a ton. But to me, that's that's just it. Like, was it really worth it? Was it really worth the 900K? They just waived Cameron Payne, who they owed $3.2 million. So maybe they're trying to save money from that. Clearly, in their eyes, it is. Clearly, in their eyes, it is. They wouldn't have done those moves if they didn't think it was worth it to get the scorn and wrath of NBA and Bulls Twitter and the fan base because as you said by and large you know no skin off their back they don't really care now I I, I think there is a truth to the, the Bulls being an overly sensitive organization when it comes to things said negatively about them uh, which is why it's so funny to me to see Joe Cali of the Sun-Times on this war path this season uh, his latest scathing piece about Gar Foreman and the fact that he he needs to be removed from his office is you know is is more of the same, uh, but just with with more fire and hot sauce to it, which I f- I find entertaining. But I think that, and some of this comes from what I've started to learn, you know, being around certain people, they do they they do care in the sense that they don't like negative PR stuff. They don't necessarily care that the the fan base wishes that they were removed but they do care when negative things are said about them in the media um and that's different fans ranting on twitter is one thing and i i I agree i think with your assessment and casey's that they don't care about that but when they are unfairly painted in the media it does bug them it absolutely bugs them but so the question of what is it all worth it um to them, there's the there's the separation because media will report this accurately for the most part and explain the Bulls are helping the Rockets. They're doing them a solid. The Rockets now owe the Bulls a favor for potential future trade negotiations. And in the meantime, the Bulls made a little bit of money. That is the reality, and that is the plain reality and the entire reality of what happened, by the way, the Bulls, because of having to give the Rockets technically something in a trade, gave them picks that will never be conveyed. That is the reality of what happened, and that is how the media reported it. Fans ranting their uninformed, unintelligent mouths on Twitter about, oh my God, like, oh, Mellow, what are we doing with Mellow? You know, this, that, and the other. That no, that they don't they don't care about that. They don't care about that because they know that at least a significant portion of the fan base running their mouths on Twitter, calling for hashtag Firegar Packs, two different people by the way, don't know what they're talking that's, about. And that's what you and I were just talking about because it's it, like it, it is legitimately upsetting. It delegitimizes the intelligence of a fan base that I think, by and large, really cares about their team and knows what they're talking about. I agree with that at the end, is that this fan base is very, very, very intelligent. Probably one of the most intelligent fan bases in the NBA and in all of sports. At the same time, I think you're about the scope of where this is and you know who's reporting on it and what's being said in the media. Sure, in Chicago and in the scope of that, what's being said about them here in Chicago, sure... 
But look across the scope in the national sense of it. Like, dude, Bill Simmons was making cracks about it. And there was articles in The Ringer making jokes about it. And asking the same questions I'm asking you right now. And the national scope of it is the same thing. And, like, think about it, too, the layers to this. Uh, Carmelo was was a target back in 2014. And as much as that doesn't matter, it plays into this entire story. Like, that's just my, my, my point here is was that worth see but like to me that is a lazy a lazy what like connect the two dots joke and i'm sorry but but i think that by and large i I think it by and large describes bill simmons oh oh no bill simmons took a shot at the bulls he was just an example it's not just him that was just an example i know it's not I know it's not, but to connect the Bulls failing to land Mello in 14 to this trade is a lazy joke, in my opinion, and that's why I didn't make any kind of joke about it. A lot of people did. A lot of people were like, oh, hey, let's put up a picture of you know Mello on the banners at the UC when they were rolling out the red carpet for him five years ago. To me, it is a lazy joke because the Bulls helping the Rockets make some, make some moves and and getting a little bit of money in return, and maybe the Rockets owe the Bulls a favor in return, has exactly, precisely zero to do with the fact that this team tried and failed to land Melo five years ago. Remove the name Carmelo Anthony from the trade, and the trade is still the same thing. Bulls have an open roster spot, help the Rockets, Rockets give Bulls money. The fact that it's mellow means absolutely nothing, and people making a joke about that, in my opinion, are lazy comedians. That's all it is. If it's not Carmelo Anthony, if it's somebody else, I still think the anger is just as high, especially because it's two of these moves in the same month. I I think I'll just leave it at that. But because it was Carmelo Anthony and all the history that's behind it, and especially because the front office are the same people who tried to pitch him here a few like five years ago, it all just leads up to the same thing, Matt. And that's what I'm just trying to say. And I understand the whole cracking the jokes and all of that. And of course, that's just part of the culture that this all is. You know, when you're on the positive side of it, that's good press for you. But when you're on the opposite side of it too, it looks really bad. And it's bad for those teams that are on the side of that too. So I get it from both sides of it. But that's where I'm at is just that was where I circle back to everything is was it really worth worth the money? And maybe to the Bulls, it was. Maybe... It was worth slicing a third of, of the salary that you, you decided to pick up on the option of Cameron Payne when you waived him. They owed him $3.2 million, and they paid him for that, and they just waived him with 30, 39 games left in the season, and you owed him $3.2 million. They got a third of that back in this deal yesterday. Those are little things that I don't think fans think about. And look, you can blame that and say, oh, well, that was a mistake that they made again. Sure, but like... I'm just trying to come up with things that they're going to use this money for. And look. Yeah, well, and as long as we're stuck with them, would you rather that they make proactive moves to try to remedy mistakes or just leave the mistakes as mistakes? I would rather them remedy. Because it's the same thing. It's the same thing going back to the, you know, the dreaded Jordan Bell, which got so much ridiculous coverage that, like, I found it laughable. Guess what? They used that $3.5 million, which is the maximum amount of money a team can give away in a trade to another team, to offset the, the Rondo money that was owed. And you can make a comment and an and, and a observation and a criticism, if you want to, about the Rondo signing in the first place, or we all know how I feel, about the Wade signing in the first place. That's fair. But again, 
if we are stuck with them, would you rather they compound their mistakes or do what they can to rectify previous ones? And there's a difference there. And I know that it is nearly impossible for most of this fan base to give them even an ounce of credit. And I understand. Let let me never forget to add that. I understand where you're coming from. But don't judge them for trying to rectify mistakes. And don't judge them for making a move that in a vacuum makes perfect sense. Who the hell cares that it's mellow? I don't. I agree with you. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. I'm playing devil's advocate here too. Are you going like, to play devil's advocate? I'm 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 trying to give it both sides too. I, I don't give I don't care if it's mellow either. I really don't. I I could care less if it's mellow. I the thing that I get to here is helping the Rockets out twice in a month. I really hope that the Rockets scratch our back when we're in need. That would be where I play this one out, and I hope there's like there's a slim margin here that the Bulls get in a one in one for Melo. They're not probably not going to get anything for him. There's a very slim margin, so in any case, that they got 900k and they can pay a third of Cameron Payne's contract that they had. So it goes down to 2.3 million that they ended up owing him. So there you go. That's what you got for him. But in a day's work, 900k. And you keep that open roster spot, and maybe they can do something with that. So, yeah, I I agree. I just the the fake outrage about it. I just it's it is it is what it is. But I will say this: they should have done more to try to see if they could have got draft compensa- compensation after doing the Rockets a favor just not even two weeks ago and taking money instead. And look, maybe the Rockets wouldn't have even done that. They would have said, whatever, we don't need to do that. We can go elsewhere with this deal. So, I don't know. In what world In what world would you actually expect them to get draft compensation for Michael Carter-Williams? Even in We're Going to Do You a Favor Part 2, could That's you what I was expect them about, to get two. draft compensation for... Okay, maybe the second time around. That's what I was talking maybe. about. Maybe. But even still, in that kind of transaction, which happens all the time in the NBA, it is very rare that you will see a team actually cough up a draft pick for that. It's almost always cash. Almost always cash. Which, again, let's make sure that people aren't misunderstanding what I'm saying. I would like to see the Bulls make some moves to acquire future assets. And and the Bulls bot, you know, Twitter account that I just went in on earlier was saying, you know, th- they're not trying to acquire any future assets. That, you know, th- that grievance I understand. And I am with you on that. I would like to see the Bulls use what they have, parentheses, cap space, to acquire future assets in a rebuild when we all know nobody's signing here in 2019. But to expect draft picks in the transaction, the exact specific transaction, like the ones like MCW and Mello over the last couple of weeks, and to judge them for not getting picks in those trades is irresponsible because nobody gets trade, nobody gets picks for trades like that. Simple, plain and simple. So again, judge them accurately. That's all I. That's ask. where I wanted to circle back to is is we both agree on that. That's the biggest part of this conversation. That's the theme here is we both want it to be judged accurately. Criticize them for the facts and credit where credit is due. Like like a lot of people didn't want to give them credit for the holiday deal. And there's still like that has been glossed over again. Like all of a sudden a lot of people just want to forget about the holiday deal all of a sudden. So like more yeah. attention has been drawn to these two deals 
in the last month and the fact that the two second round picks that were acquired for Holiday was just absolute robbery. Like, yeah. you can hate... How, you how can quickly ha- this fan base forgets when the front office actually does something good. Right, and then for for the listeners who've been with Matt and I here for over a year or even six months, you know how critical at times we've been of the front office and you know how how we've given them yeah. credit when they've made good moves. So whether it's the draft, whether it's free agency, wherever it is, we've given them credit when it's due. So you know it's for the listeners who just hopped on board a few weeks ago. It may sound like we're bashing or to others. It may sound like we're we're front office lovers. Like that's not the case. We're just presenting the facts and that's what we like. That's you why to do you know, the it's, same, it's amusing so. to me, George. Like we've had people come at us um either as as a pair in the podcast or you individually or me individually and we we have been called you know we've been called garpax defenders and we have also been called garpax haters um <laughs> and everything in between so based on today's based on today's it's sentiment ridiculous. i can't wait to get uh, you know uh, all sorts of people on twitter throwing insults at me for for being a garpax defender but Whatever, I'm, I'm defender of truth. I will stick to that. <laughs> yeah, it's we get people that text in our line or tweet at us and say, "I can't listen to these guys anymore. All they do is hate, and all it is is negativity." And then literally, it'll be followed up by somebody else who texts in and say, "I can't listen to these guys. All they do is defend the front office and defend every move that they make, and all it is is all positivity." So, I mean, not everybody's gonna like us. So, I mean. <laughs> we're just trying to present the facts and be fair on both sides. So that's the way it is. We we call it the way it, we see it. We try to be fair. And that's the way it should be presented to the fan base. Look, it's hard to do it as a fan when you're passionate about the franchise and not passionate about the people who run it. That's just the way it is. So, um, Well put. Very well put. With that, I know we went way longer than we should have, but I felt like that needed to be aired out more so than anything else. But we have a great interview with Casey Johnson. You can follow him on Twitter at KCJHoop. Without further ado, let's get into that interview right away. Here is Casey Johnson from the Chicago Tribune. Right now, we're very pleased to welcome back to Locked On Bulls, one of our favorite guys to talk to. Uh, we talked to him last, uh, I think, the week leading up to Thanksgiving. So a lot has changed since then. He is Casey Johnson, covers the Bulls for the Chicago Tribune. Follow him on Twitter for all of his Bulls updates at KCJ Hoop. Casey, welcome back to the pod, man. How are things? Are people happier around the Advocate Center with that W? Uh, I haven't talked to anybody yet. We were in Cleveland yesterday. They're practicing uh, later today, but... Uh... Yeah, obviously, when you got a 10-game skid, you want to get that in your rearview mirror as quickly as possible. Uh, yeah, so let's start with the good, I guess, while we can. Uh, you wrote about how Chris Dunn had uh, somewhat of a bounce-back game in their win over Cleveland yesterday. Um, you know, uh, I, th- I think it was 13 points, 9 assists, limited his turnovers for the most part. He really struggled on that West Coast road trip. Do you have a, a different opinion of Chris Dunn and what his NBA ceiling might be uh, now as opposed to, say, the beginning of this season or when he arrived in that Jimmy trade? Because I feel like a lot of Bulls fans are starting to worry that a guy who's about to turn 25, I think, in March may have a limited room of or window to improve, and people are talking about him being a really good backup as opposed to a starting point guard. Would you agree with that evaluation? What's your take on Dunn? 
I mean, I think it's certainly debatable and on the table, and I think it's being debated internally, too. I mean, you know, when you make a trade uh, like you did with Jimmy Butler and, and get done, you have high hopes for him. And I thought last season he had a lot of very, very high moments, uh, particularly his chemistry with Lowry Markkinen. Um, I think he's struggled to fit uh, alongside Zach Levine, and I also think he's had trouble staying on the court. Uh, I'm not sure if he's a backup. I think he's probably a starting-level NBA player. Uh, I just don't know if he's the right fit here, and that's a question that they've obviously got to figure out because he's coming up you know, for his contra- contract extension eligible this summer, coming off his rookie deal. You don't have to get something done, but if – you know, when when they traded for him, you probably thought you were going to be probably trying to get something done this off season. So he's a tough one to figure out. I I can't I, I don't I can't speak definitively on him because there's moments where I think he's he's you know the right guy, and there's other times where you kind of you kind of you kind of lose him a little bit. Um, and uh, so he he's a he's a pretty polarizing player for a reason. Casey, to follow up on Chris Dunn really fast. Just thinking about his game last year and the confidence that he was playing with in just a stretch of time of like about eight weeks, you know, the beginning of December through about mid-January and, you know, you you flurry in those injuries that he had and you think about the Golden State injury too specifically, but think about the confidence that he was playing with and he looked like the point guard that we all thought we were getting in the trade and that a guy that could build off of performances like that from last year, I mean... I think a lot of Bulls fans forget he was named to things like the Futures game and the All-Star game, and he was doing things that categorized him in maybe not the top third of point guards in the NBA, but certainly in a category where it was respectable enough to say, hey, this guy can probably be a a good, sufficient starting point guard on a team that can be competitive two, three, four years down the road. But you fast forward to this year, Chris Dunn's going to be 25 in, I think, about a month or two from now. He's coming up in a contract in 18 months or so. That's probably sticking in the back of his head. So all the talks is this, obviously Bulls Twitter is known to be overreactionary at times, of course, Bulls fans in general, but is the sense of overreaction as far as Chris Dunn needs to be moved, Chris Dunn, the Bulls, Bulls should just give up on him, or is this just a case of this is the worst stretch of basketball Chris Dunn has ever played in his entire life, and everybody needs to take a step back, have a little bit more patience, and let him bounce back from these performances, or is this a case of, hey, you know what, these 35 games left are serious evaluation time um, for his performance and even some of these other guys that are on the team and how well he can mesh with, say, even another strong ball handler and another really key guy on this team like Zach Levine. What, what are your senses as far as how all of that plays a factor and what his role is going to be with this team in the future? Well, I think the fact that in that first answer I talked about how they're debating it internally says it all. I mean, there are still, there's still uh, questions long-term as to whether or not Chris Dunn is the starting point guard of the future. And it's obviously a position the Bulls have had trouble securing since Derek obviously started going through all his uh, knee injuries. Um, you know, like I said, he's a polarizing player. There, there are stretches. I mean, even this season when he first came back, he came off the bench those first two games. You look at that string when he first moved into the starting lineup, he put up some monster numbers. Um, and, and he played very well for a long, long stretch there. And then he had the, the, the tough West Coast trip. Um, 
you know, the one thing you keep hearing about with Chris is when, when he's talking about playing with a swagger, that's when he's at his best. You heard that from my perspective a lot more last season than you're, than you're hearing this season. He is, um, he, he, I think he's, I think he's challenged by competition. It's how he grew up. Obviously his past is, uh, well-documented. He, you know, obviously was home bouncing around for a little bit, not without a lot of, um, you know, home life, stable home life. And, and you, you heard the stories about how he would play pickup basketball for money that he didn't have. I, when he's challenged in competition, he, that's when he's at his best. I just don't know about how much, you know, the skill can advance at this point. Cause as you guys mentioned, he's, he's nearing 25. He seems best in games. Um, you know, I know he's a committed practice player, but I don't know about the skill level, how much it's changed. He's, there are times where I think um, he's more of an athlete playing basketball than a basketball player. And this all sounds critical of him. I'm not, he's not a bad player. I mean, it's just I can't figure him out. So if, I, if it sounds like I'm grasping at straws, it's because, you know, I'm joining the chorus here. I, I, I don't know. Um, and luckily, I don't have to make the decision on to whether or not to extend him or not because I'm not the chief of the Bulls. <laughs> I'm I'm glad that you're just as confused about Chris Dunn as I am, Casey, because I you know I I can't put my finger on him either. Um, let let's shift to another important piece of this rebuild, another piece from the Jimmy trade, and that is Zach Levine. I think it's fair to say that he has been more willing, uh, more so than any of his teammates, to be vocally frustrated uh, during the West Coast road trip, during the ten game losing streak. Uh, certainly more so than reserve players like Lowry or or even some of the veterans who are trying to to keep things positive especially his his comments after the heat game about saying you know this doesn't make sense we weren't getting blown out every night back you know months ago when we had fewer players and less talent to work with so you know i don't know what's different but it doesn't make sense to me that was that was a pretty pointed question or comment towards the new coach jim boylan I, unless I missed it, I didn't see anything from Boylan's uh, shoot-around or post-game comments where you or any of your colleagues asked him about Levine's comments following the heat loss. What's your take on that, and would you expect us to hear some kind of Boylan response to a comment from his player like that that sounds very much like pointing a finger at his coach? Well, a couple of things. We, we, just, we just asked him about it in Denver. So, I mean, it was before that comment, but obviously Zach's, frustration level was rising on that entire West Coast trip. So we had just asked Boylan about it in Denver and Jim said, you know, Zach is obviously free to speak his mind. Um, but, you know, I, we're committed to working here and, and he's a big part of this. So um, it, it wasn't anything where it felt like a heat, you know, Jim was firing back at Zach. So that's why you didn't see people make a big deal out of it. Secondly, Zach's got a little selective memory. Uh, I recognize the margin of, uh, Defeat has risen quite a bit, uh, but they had nine double-digit losses under Hoiberg, albeit with a Zach's right in the in the much uh, less healthy roster. But there, there are a lot of blah losses under under Fred too. So um, you know, look, when you're losing ten games straight, there's going to be a lot of frustration. You got, and that's what I talk about with with uh, with. I don't care if they're beating the Cavs. I don't care if they're beating the Hawks. You need to get some wins there once in a while. Or the negativity just festers, and the and the whole environment becomes toxic. And this season has been a huge disappointment on so many levels. Forget the wins and losses; it's just the the lack of buzz and optimism that surrounds the core has faded. And um, a lot of that has stemmed, you know, from the first week of training camp when Lowry went down with the elbow injury. They just never really have been able to get on track this season, and that's what to me this entire season has been about. So. 
you know, Zach has played, I think, very well on an individual level, offensively, defensively. He still needs uh, quite a bit of improvement. Um, you know, and Zach's going to be here. I mean, he's committed. You know, obviously with the with the salary that they're, they're they're committed to him, so they they've got to figure out how he can play more effectively alongside um, Markin and Dunn moving forward. Casey, what's your sense of the chemistry among the players? Like, I know Bulls fans talk about, oh, maybe Boylan's the problem, and everybody wants to point the finger at him. And, like, I get it. The the changeover from him to Hoiberg and everything on the floor, okay, fine. But I'm very curious about how the players are connecting with each other because even if he's out after the season's over, how are those guys getting along? Because those guys are the guys that are going to be here for the future. What are you sensing in the locker room over these last six weeks and even throughout this entire season? How are those guys getting along? How are they connecting together? And uh, are, are you see, seeing any type of bonding relationships being formed? And how big of a role did Justin Holiday play in that locker room? And I know that he wasn't a LeBron James-type player like Zach Levine had mentioned maybe two weeks ago uh, on the floor, but what kind of impact did he make in that locker room, and how are these guys chemistry-wise in that locker room? Yeah, I mean, it's not, a, it's not a bunch that points fingers at each other. It's not a bunch that, you know, snipes at each other. It's not a bunch that splinters. And, and this really, to me, That's good. just reflects it just reflects how young of a team they are. Um, you know, th- these guys don't know much better. One thing you've heard Zach Levine talk about consistently from the jump is we got to learn how to win. None of us in here that are important to the future have, have, have won anything in our lives. So, you know, you can say there's potential there, but he was on that point early. Uh, he was talking about that in training camp. So, you know, this is why uh, it's so imperative, I think, to get the right veterans in here, particularly this summer. Look, Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday have been lauded for being good teammates for a reason. They are. Justin Holiday is a journeyman, okay? Uh, and I'm not saying that critically. He's, he had a very good season before he was dealt, but he's a journeyman, okay? So his voice resonates some, but not a lot. Robin, for as good of a teammate and a good of a soldier as he is, and he is both, he's a quirky guy. He's, he's more of like a – he just keeps people loose, okay? So he's not like your get-in-your-face type leader. He's just more of an inclusive, let's-all-do-this-together kind of guy. You need you need veteran leaders in here who could play. This to me just a lot of the, the the issues this season from a the roster standpoint. I mean, I'm talking now off the court and tangible stuff is the fact that none of these guys really know how to lead. They're too young. They haven't been through enough. They have never won. And I think you've seen that kind of in moments. That said, they all know they're in this together, so there's not a lot of finger pointing or sniping at each other. You know, I'm around the team most every day, and I, I don't see any issues with inside the locker room. It's certainly not like that, uh, whatever season that was, 15, I can't keep them all straight, 15, 16 season where they were <laughs> the, like uh, open and fighting and just, no, it was, no, that, well, that was the one, no, it was the year I'm talking that Butler usurped the uh, leadership mantle from Rose oh, Noah. That was, that was, right. that was about as toxic of a locker room as I've been in a long time. So it, it's not, it's not, it's not like that. It's not like that. Well, well, speaking of uh, team chemistry and toxic locker rooms, uh, I mean, this team did have maybe it was overblown a little bit, um, but the the near mutiny a, a week or so after Boylan replaced Fred. So, I mean, Casey, from your perspective, people are already talking about, well, they decided to fire Fred. Maybe it was too soon, right, as they were getting guys healthy. But if they didn't believe Fred was the guy, then Fred's not the guy. Let's move on. And I know you were saying, well, yeah, the Bulls got blown out underneath Fred Hoiberg, too, not just Boylan. So maybe Zach's memory is a little spotty there. 
but you can't ignore um, insert jokes about Bulls fans and, and their feeling that front office ignores analytics more so than other franchises across this league. But the Bulls' offensive efficiency rating has has gone from second to last to last under Boylan. Not a whole lot to go down there, but they did go down. And even their defense after the the, the short uptick under Boylan has now gone down. And I believe they were 22nd under Fred Hoiberg, and now they're 25th or 26th. So do you see the Bulls' front office fairly evaluating Boylan? Because they, they left themselves a little bit of wiggle room. They didn't guarantee he'll be back. Bulls fans are freaking out about the uh, the prom- uh, n- not the promotion but the the pay bump but honestly I see no problem with that it's not an extension it's just a pay bump I mean if Fred doesn't get another NBA coaching job do you see them being willing to pay three coaches because they have decided that Boylan failed the test to earn that job the answer the short answer to that question is absolutely um they, they would do that I mean Here's the thing. We all know how today's world works. Like everybody, every game is a referendum. Every game is a up in arms, uproar. That's not how an organization views things. They take the long view. There's, there's what, 36 games left. Um, you know, they're going to evaluate the coaching situation at the end of the season. Obviously they made the coaching change for the, and, and I thought John Paxson about as publicly uh, and precisely, you know, gave voice to the reasons for that coaching change he did. You can disagree with him. That's fine. But he spelled it out as clear as day. He said it was the lack of competitive spirit, lack of leadership. Um, you know, that he, that's why he made the coaching change. So um, they're going to, they're going to let this season play out and then they're going to evaluate what has happened. Um, the contract that Jim is guaranteed through next season is not prohibitive to the point where if they feel like they need to upgrade that position, They'll do it. This this franchise makes a lot of money. Maybe, maybe you guys didn't know. <laughs> so, you know, if they feel like they need to, if they if you feel if you feel like if they feel like they need to uh, change the coach, they will. I, I'm not, and I want to make this clear. That's not that's not their plan. Their plan, also publicly stated, is to give Jim every chance to to, to be the coach next season. Um, but if look, if they lose by 30, 30 straight games, or there's another situation like what happened shortly after he took over or more than one of those, of course they're going to address or, or look at the coaching situation. So everybody wants everything to be decided right away and everybody gets an uproar. And I get it. That's how today's world works, but that's just not how organizations view things. Jim has the job through the rest of the season. He's under contract for next season. They, 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 they are giving him every opportunity to be the coach next season, but look, you know, they got to see how these next 36 games play out. And that's what they're going to do. Casey, I know this is kind of offended in talking about the, the changeover from Hoiberg to Boylan. And with that came some changes to Jim Boylan's coaching staff. And with that, was there anybody that was hired to be sort of the shooting coach for the Bulls? I know Hoiberg kind of took the reins of that or was the guy that was helping a lot of those guys develop their shots. Did the Bulls hire a shooting coach or are they kind of waiting to see what happens with the rest of this season and sort of evaluate that at the re- at the end of the season? Did they do that? Is there anybody on Boylan's staff right now that sits on the bench that is the shooting coach that can work with some of these young guys? Because I think specifically about a lot of these young guys, Chandler Hutchison's 
specifically needs to learn a shot and pretty quickly Chris Dunn could be in desperate need of learning how to to shoot a three-pointer like all of these guys so is there anybody that has been hired as a shooting coach for this Bulls team or is that something that they're going to evaluate at the end of the season no the staff changes were well documented in December you know they uh, gave Karen Stack more responsibility Randy Brown chose to resign they added Dean Cooper who's been with Jim Boylan before, who's working for the Bulls G-League team. Um, you know, getting into the shooting thing, I'll get into in a second. My sense is, regardless of what happens with Jim at the end of the season, is they're going to address the staff. I, my, my sense is they'll try to add, um, you know, kind of like a veteran uh, mentor type, um, someone who's maybe even been a head coach before. I, I'm thinking, you know, this isn't the best analogy because he's didn't maybe work the best, but like when Vinny got the job, they had Del Harris and Bernie Bickerstaff added to the staff. It'll be somebody, somebody like that might, is my sense. I, I don't know, but you, you do hear some buzz about them addressing the staff uh, this summer. And look, you know, Jim, here's the other thing. Jim, Jim's going to want, if Jim's the guy, he's going to want his own staff. And one thing I'll get into the shooting in a second, but um, I forgot to mention when I was talking about Jim, you know, another thing that you hear kind of being around the team a little bit is that uh, in-season coaching changes are hard. This is not an excuse or a justification. This is just that, – that's just the reality. You, you, you'd hear any team say that. So from the from the Bulls' perspective, they feel that if Jim is the coach next season, they feel the benefit of having a training camp, which is obviously essential to lay your groundwork and your framework for what you want to do and also having your own staff are two pretty important ingredients for head coaching success. So again, that's just that, that any, any organization would say that as far as the shooting, I, I would a hundred percent agree with you on Don. Uh, he looks very hesitant to shoot from three point range. I thought Fred had kind of got him to a point where he was confidently knocking down that shot and not a lot, a lot of attempts, but he just looked more comfortable taking the shot uh Chandler I think is actually uh I think the lessons that Fred were was were given him was given him um early this season have kind of taken hold I think his release has gotten a little bit better it's still not quick by any means but it's certainly quicker and if you look at his numbers I think he shot the ball pretty well lately I think it's been such an afterthought because there's been so many other bigger stories swirling around but I think Chandler's actually played fairly well uh since he moved into the starting lineup again there are times where he's invisible or disappears, but I think those are becoming fewer and far between. So I think he's been a little bit of a small bright spot in, in the in the sea of craziness that's been swirling around this season. <laughs> that's fair. Um, let's let's touch on Casey, the other very big story uh, as far as the players and the chemistry of this team, and that is the uh, reemergence of Jabari Parker into Boylan's rotation before Wendell went down. Um, and the the depth of the front court, uh, you know, took a hit. It looks like we were getting another, hey, Rolo, thanks for everything you do, but we're, we're going to sit you down, big guy, so that they could shift Bobby to the five uh, backup and then put Jabari back into the rotation as the backup power forward. We've seen Jabari play fairly well off the bench in this recent stretch of games, certainly at least efficient on the offensive end, and at least – noticeably making greater effort on the defensive end uh, compared to the beginning of the season, which was laughably bad, in my opinion. Do you, did you see this as a, 
uh, an instruction from the front office to Boylan to get Jabari in there and maybe make one last ditch effort to either A, see if he could work and fit with this team, or B, raise his trade value. Is it either of those things? If so, which one? And what's your take on Jabari being back in the rotation? Well, I think my feelings on Jabari being in the rotation are pretty well documented. I don't write a lot of personal opinion columns, but I not only sat down with Jabari when we, when, uh, we were in Toronto in late December and gave him voice to his situation, which I thought he handled pretty eloquently, but then also wrote a column following up on that saying that I felt like he deserved to play. Look, I understand why Jim did it initially. You're trying to send a message. You're trying to set a culture. He didn't think Jabari was working hard enough in practice or competing hard enough at the defensive end. That's fine. But at some point, in my opinion, uh, maybe I just reached a breaking point of seeing second units that featured uh, Antonio Blakeney, Chandler Hutchinson, and Ryan Archie Diacono. But at some oh, point, and, and all like, of the Shaq Harrison minutes too. <laughs> Wait, did I, didn't I say Shaq or not? Did I no. say Shaq? I can't remember. You said you said Hutch, Archie, and uh, Blakeney. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. I meant to say Hutch instead. Or. Uh, Shaq instead of Hutch. Hutch was starting yeah. man. Yeah, yeah it, was that, it was it was when those three guys would get to the – there was one night in, we were in Portland and those three guys went to the scorer's table together. I think I just kind of snapped. I just couldn't take it oh, anymore. So. <laughs> uh, and, look, this is not an indictment of any of those guys. You know, right. they're, they're, they're all doing what they can. But you sign, I just never understood how you sign this guy for $20 million. You know who he is. He's playing like you. he always has. And again, if you want to send a message initially, fine. But at some point, I just felt like it got punitive. And uh, I don't even remember your original question. I, I don't. I think it was something about was it a front office mandate? I have no idea if it was. I'd be surprised if it was because the front office supported Fred demoting him from starter to reserve and supported Jim moving him from reserve to completely out of the rotation. So. Um, you know, there was that time shortly after the Justin Holiday trade with John Paxson dressed reporters, and he talked about, you know, he made it clear that Jabari might get another chance. So I, I certainly think it's something they've discussed, the front office and the coaching staff. But for the large part, management has, you know, supported the coaching staff's decision with, with Jabari. You know, Jim is on record publicly as saying that Jabari finally reached or met his um, standard for, for playing. Whatever the case He's doing what he's always done. I mean, what, he had 10 points in 12 minutes last night, two big threes at an important point. And I agree with you. He's playing better at the defensive end. Um, and, you know, when I sat down in Toronto in late December, that was his point, is that he admitted that he was pretty poor defensively at the start. I think part of it, he didn't say this, this is my take, I, I think part of it was he wasn't in the best condition when he got to training camp. And I think right before Jim pulled him from the rotation, I think he was starting to compete a little bit better at that. And so... Um, it's been obviously a puzzling story all the way through. He clearly won't be on the team next year, so it'll be a one season experiment, but it's, it's certainly given us beat writers plenty to write about. Casey, last question for you. We would get killed here if we didn't ask you about this, but obviously over the last three weeks, there've been three trades, obviously minor, two of them have been minor. One has been pretty, a pretty solid trade. The Holiday trade was a really good trade, I thought. Uh, two second-round picks for Justin Holiday is crazy value for the Bulls. Two second-round picks, and you look what Memphis has done over the last handful of weeks. The second-round picks have turned out could turn out to be pretty damn good picks for the Bulls if it 
continues to go in that path for the Memphis Grizzlies. Aside from that, though, the Michael Carter-Williams deal, uh, waiving him and ultimately getting cash considerations in return, uh, making some money, basically giving up nothing, a second-round pick that's never going to be conveyed. Similar deal was happened yesterday for Carmelo Anthony. But social media and Bulls Twitter and NBA Twitter will do its thing, and they did certainly yesterday. Um, From the Bulls' perspective, is this... Is this worth it? Is the money worth the 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 outcry on social media the way it is? And look, as as Matt and I do, we we try to be fair and critical with the facts, with true facts. And a lot of Bulls fans, I feel like, are given the wrong facts at times and are outraged about things that aren't even true. So my question to you is: is like, do they see this when this is happening? And is the is the cash and the these small moves really worth? a lot of the backlash that they get on social media, even though from a, from a financial and a, in a, in a franchise standpoint, the move might be a good move from a day's work where you're making 900 K for really not having to do anything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a valid question, a valid point. And a couple of things, I mean, I'll ramble a little bit here. Um, first of all, this just in bulls management and ownership isn't sitting around refreshing their Twitter buttons. Like uh, a lot of people are. Okay. So we have a sound clip from John Paxson that says, I don't have Twitter. I don't use Twitter. <laughs> I don't have Twitter. I don't do anything like that. And so, I don't know. So, you know, th- th- there's that. Okay. So, so that the, the, the level of, uh, of, uh, of craziness that, that develops on Twitter is largely ignored for long-term thinkers. Like most sports franchises are. Okay. That's number one. Number two, we, and I, I understand that the optics are bad. I get it. Like it's in the middle of a rebuild and they're making these deals that are just, you know, fattening the bottom line and not really making much basketball sense. I, so I think it's certainly fair. But on, as far as the Camaro thing, you got to wait and see how it plays out. Okay. It's, it, it, people are just lumping it right in with the Michael Carter-Williams uh, trade. I'm not saying they're going to be able to get something for Carmelo, but he's on the, he's on, he's going to be on the roster between now and, you know, closer to February 7th. I don't know if it's going to make it all the way to February 7th. So, you know, there, there is a potential that he could be included in an asset gaining deal. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I would say the chances are probably pretty small, but you got to wait to see how that plays out before you, you fully judge it. Um, and then I also get a kick, uh, you know, our, our, and especially this management team are so despised by the fan base that they'll get um, they'll get ripped for basically anything, but there's a little bit of double standard on this one because th- there was that Yahoo story recently about uh, how the Bulls are being stubborn on the Robin Lopez buyout. And first of all, I've never heard of a franchise proactively buying somebody out in advance of the trade. That's why I've just never heard it. And and there's a chance for them to save money, and they're not doing it because they're trying to get an asset for Robin Lopez, but then they get crushed for being stubborn and not buying them out. So it's like they're, you know, at some point it just gets a little laughable. You know, I, I get it. It's because the fan base or the management level of the team is so despised right now. But, you know, so they're getting ripped for being cash hungry, but also being ripped for, you know, not buying somebody out and where they could make cash or save cash. So I, it's just, I find the whole thing a little amusing, but, um, you know, that's just where, that's just where the fan base is right now. And, and, probably you know in, in a lot of instances rightfully so all right and a, a quick follow-up to that Casey and then we'll let you go the uh 
I, you know, you, you can say that the fan base is quick to, you know, guilty uh, until proven innocent as opposed to vice versa with this front office. I think some of that comes with a recent track record of very questionable moves. Uh, and I think some of it's fair and some of it's not. Uh, as Jordan said, we try to be as fair as we can when we evaluate what the the moves are from this front office. I think something that, that a lot of the fan base would like to see them do when it comes to transactions is we can roll our eyes at them netting themselves $900,000 on a, basically helping the 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 Rockets with some clerical work, but it seems like there isn't a whole lot of talk about them taking on unwanted contracts or bad contracts in a Jabari trade or in a Robin Lopez trade to net themselves a future asset. It's what other rebuilding teams are doing. It's you we're we're seeing the the Hawks make similar moves to that. We've seen the Brooklyn Nets bounce back from a very bad trade that set their organization back 10 years. Now they're rebuilding quickly with some of those kinds of moves. Uh, the Bulls haven't done that. And they talk about cap flexibility. Uh, and they, you know, Michael Reinsdorf bragged about the cap flexibility, allowing them to sign Jabari. And look what they're, that, look where that got them. So I think most Bulls fans are, are realistic when it comes to the, the free agent summer of 2019 and knowing that the Bulls probably won't be big players. So why not spend that money on taking an unwanted contract and netting your young rebuilding team an asset in the process. No, that's fair. And I would just say this, uh, you know, every bit of reporting that I've done on that and it hasn't needed to be needed to be written because it hasn't happened is they're certainly open to that. If it's the right deal, they, they haven't found the right deal. And you can say, uh, what was the next trade or last year, the free trade? Or whatever. What was that trade? Where they yeah, got the, it, uh, it was it was Denver giving Brooklyn a pick to take Fareed. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't I don't know this for sure, but I, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Bulls were in on those talks and it just didn't work out. I mean, they, they would they they would absolutely add uh, an asset if the right long term deal uh, could be added for the right asset. They would do that, and I and I know that's easy to say because they haven't done it, but I know that for sure. So. Um, you know, it's just it, the right one hasn't presented itself. They, they, it's not like they don't see what's going on around the league. They know that these deals are the kind of the new vogue way to add assets, and that's what they're—that's the position they're in right now—is is trying to build assets. And um, you know, the Jabari thing was obviously much maligned, right? Um, and in retrospect, it's going to be a mistake, absolutely. At the time, you know, it was similar to the 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 Wade and Rondo flyers, short-term flyers to see if it works and it hasn't worked. So they're going to move on. Um, you could say they could have managed their cap better. They, they, I would assume they explored other deals before signing Jabari. It's not like they just locked in on Jabari. I think they moved to Jabari when the other deals didn't work out and, and here we are. So, you know, it's just, uh, it, but to answer your question, the sense I've gotten is they would absolutely uh, add long-term money if it's you know not incredibly prohibitive, and it brings the right asset. I don't I don't think those deals have presented themselves to the Bulls. All right, well, uh, Casey, we appreciate you stopping by the the Lockdown Bulls pod as always. Uh, we've got a little three-game homestand, including the Hawks and the Cavs again. So who knows? Maybe you're going to be writing about uh, a few more Bulls wins this coming week. Uh, he's Casey Johnson. <laughs> Get all of his Bulls coverage at KCJ Hoop on Twitter, and of course, uh, read all of his columns for the Chicago Tribune. Case, thanks a lot for the time, man. Have a great week. All right, thanks for having me on, guys.
All right, take care. Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. want to thank Casey Johnson for hopping on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at CaseyJHoop. All of his columns from the Bulls beats, 35 games left, and everything from postseason here, going into the draft coverage and everything that's going to happen this summer. Follow Casey at CaseyJHoop on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley at Bulls underscore Peck and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Text and voicemail lines at 331-979-1369. I know you guys got reactions, so drop us voicemails, text messages, whatever you got for us, drop us it there, 331-979-1369. We're live on Dash Radio, dashradio.com and the Dash Radio app. On the Nothing But Net channel, live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, and our guest, Casey Johnson. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. We'll be back tomorrow with another special guest. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.